I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Friday, and I'm here with Anna Navarro. This is Behind the Table. All right, it is Friday. I am in a good mood. How are you, Anna Navarro? Well, I have to be here with you, don't I? Yes, you do. That that aside, it's a good day. I mean, it's Friday. Who doesn't like it's a Friday? Friday. Yes. We're going into a long weekend. Yes. It's, um, it's been a week of news. My goodness gracious, a lot of news. A lot of travel for me. I'm sleep deprived. Yes, you flew in yesterday at the last minute because you switched days with Joy. She's going to be on Monday. You came in yesterday. and We're very appreciative of that. I did. And so, Joy, can we say she went? Well, she said it today on the air. She went to a Stevie Nicks uh, concert. Yes. And she filled in for me uh, for on, on Monday. Mm-hmm. So you called me last minute and I said, yeah, you know what? She filled in for me. I'll uh, I'll come in and hopped on a 6 a.m. flight. Yes. So woke up at 4, went home. Did Valentine's Day with my husband because, you know, he's very romantic. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, he's very romantic. And he loves these things. He sends flowers. He puts on a red tie. He wants Mm -hmm. to go to dinner. That works. And um, hopped on a 6 a.m. flight, landed at 9, got stuck in traffic for over an hour, came here at 10.15. The magic workers here put me together, did something to my hair, did something to my face, (laughs) shoved me into a pair of Spanx, put my fat feet into a pair of nice shoes and and put, you through, out there with and put me out there with J-Lo, <laughs> who always looks impeccable. Well, as so you say that Al, Al did nice things for you on Valentine's Day. I saw some of your posts about it, which is great. I, I tend to do that, too. Do you do anything for Al on Valentine's Day, or do you just receive at that point? No, I'm a receiver. You're I'm not a, a giver. Yeah, I understand. And, and, I mean, I show up. I, you I, I, you know, I, I went through a lot of hoops to be home because uh, he wanted to go to dinner. We ended up going to, um, you know, we belong to this very traditional country club and they have uh so it's a very kind of like non-miami type of environment mm-hmm. but it's um you can just they, say it, it's mar-a-lago no i'm just kidding. no, <laughs> <laughs> no it, it's a, it's it, it's it's actually people who don't look like uh senior barbies <laughs> um i think there's a lot less plastic surgery at my sure. club but um they have a dinner dance for Valentine's, so they oh, had a nice. they had a they have a special menu, and they set the tables beautiful, and they give us roses, and and they have a band playing, and all they do is play romantic songs, and people dance. So it's kind of kind of really very yeah. sweet. I like that very much. I think that's good. You know, there was a hot topic the other day that we didn't uh, get on the show, and it was about whether on uh, it was about dating and about splitting the check on a date and whether uh, women should split the check, should offer to split the check, that sort of thing. What's your take on that? Oh, I have never in my life paid for a meal with a man. Yeah. Uh, But I'll split checks with girlfriends. Sure. I'll split checks with colleagues. Right. I'll split checks with Lee. uh, But I certainly will not split checks. Uh, If you can't pay for my food, you can't have me. That's just, I'm sorry. And I'm, and by the way, I don't come cheap. Yeah. Well, (laughs) no, that is true. But I said, uh, I said this in the meeting. For me, if a girl insisted on paying for half, that would just be a clear sign that she is not interested in me as anything other than a platonic, da- uh, platonic 
dinner companion. I mean, but do you think that's the same? That's okay. You've got teenage daughters now, yeah. right? I think that uh, this new generation sees roles and labels differently than we and the generations preceding I, us. I think that's do. probably true. I, I think that's probably true. But for me, it was always, you know, I, I like the I like paying for dinner. I like taking someone out for the night. I'm Chivalry, probably closer to right? Al. You, I you, think so, yeah. And frankly, it's, you know, I, 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 it's what I can offer. <laughs> it's what I got. You know? Didn't you once, I remember having a, hearing you say a story once where you were taking a girl to like the rainbow room or something and it went awfully wrong and you ended up like at a pizza place? Oh, that was, uh, I was on, so this is when I worked for the Montel Williams show a long time ago when I was a production assistant. They did a uh, a matchmaking show on the air where the producers were ma- matched their production assistants up with girls. They went to a bar and they met everybody and decided, okay, I'm going to find the perfect date for my production assistant. So they did that and it was produced by Robin, who's, who works with us now. And the end of the story was that uh, I had a date. They gave us dinner at the 21 Club. But instead of uh, going to the 21 Club because they forgot to make reservations for us, I took her to Sabaro's in the subway and for a slice of pizza. That's what happened. Oh, I would, good. And, and the date. That was the last time I saw her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd say. And was she dressed up? Yeah, she was dressed up. She was on TV. She so she nice, thought she was going to the 21, 21 Club. Club. Yes, and instead we got pizza in the subway. To be fair, I already had a girlfriend when I, when I did this, so it was uh, kind of for TV. Well, this was, yeah, yeah. this was bad. This, this was, was not good on many, many levels. Okay, yeah. so what'd you do for Valentine's Day? What'd you do for Miss Heather? Uh, for Miss Heather, I, I sent her a uh, Valentine's Day charcuterie. Something. What do you call it? Charcuterie, charcuterie, whatever, you know, the cheese board. Of course I yeah. know what it is. I just want to uh, hear yeah, you say it. Saying. I'm saying it wrong each time. It's fine. Please do not erase this from this tape or erase I will it. never do this podcast this sing- again. I'm giving the signal already. Go ahead. Take it out. No. So I got her some cheese. <laughs> and uh, and I sent some beautiful tulips. That's her favorite flower. Uh-huh. Hard to find in February. And then uh, we went out to a nice romantic dinner. That's very sweet. I did the best I could. Very, very sweet. I did the best I could. All right. We had uh, Rita Ora on today, who was terrific, and we asked uh, you asked her about a, uh, being a refugee, moving from uh, Kosovo to the UK. You have a similar story, and what's the message that you hope success stories like you and Rita send to young people that might be going through something similar? Um, you know that you can restart even mm-hmm. late in life. Um, Rita moved when she was one year old from Kosovo to the UK. I moved to America when I was eight years old. Uh, But our parents, in each of our cases, our parents were full adults with full lives in our countries who had to restart, uh, learn a new language, learn new customs, learn new holidays, new traditions, leave family, friends, infrastructure, uh, everything they knew behind. Really, to me, it's overwhelming how when when I think about everything they lost suddenly everything they left behind and everything they had to learn anew and um and they did it and they did it uh without complaint and they did it they did it for their children they did it so that their children could grow up in freedom they did it so that their children could have opportunity my parents knew that if we ended up if we stayed in nicaragua it would be living under communism and so they they made these huge sacrifices for their children and I think that it shapes us. And in my case, I think in Rita's case, uh, it drives us and it makes us want to do good for our parents to out of gratitude for the sacrifices 
they made for us. Yeah, it's got to also really just have such an impact on on the person you turn into and in ways you can't have, they can't have fathomed then to give you the kind of drive that brings you to the success you've had, that she's had, things like that, I would think, right? I mean, it's got to be formative. Yeah. And listen, I, you know, um, like in, in the case of, uh, of Al, my husband, his father was a professional in Cuba um, in charge of a, he was like the, the a, a manager, he the general manager of a, of a bank uh, in Cuba. And here in the United States, he was a, um, he did the books for like a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. And there were so many professionals in places like Cuba, like Nicaragua, who came to this country and started by parking cars at hotels, by doing the most menial work because they didn't know the language, because maybe they didn't have work permits, because they were just starting and they had to put food in the uh, on the table and they had to find a, a dignified way of doing that. And, um, you know, it reminds you that no honest work is uh, anything to be ashamed of. And, is, uh, and, and that, you know, that work dignifies and provides uh, pride and that parents will often do whatever they have to do to put food on, uh, on the table. But I also know a lot of people um, whose parents fell into Great Depressions because uh, of, of that huge change. It's not everybody that can no, far from bounce it. back. It takes so yeah. much perseverance. Far from it. No, of course. But it does forge those successes, I think, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I think statistically the successes like uh, you or Rita Ora are extremely small. Well, I think yeah. she's a lot more successful than I am. Yeah, she's so okay. beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's yeah. gorgeous and she's wonderful and she's sweet. Uh, yeah. yeah I, really, I really enjoyed her, too. Obviously, I had no idea who she was before she came today. <laughs> but... Because you're always talking about about my pop culture blind spot. Yeah, I was gonna give you that. I was gonna give oh, you a freebie here. No, you don't have to. People, yeah. people. But but I'm glad she, uh, you booked her. Uh, she was lovely, and I'm now going to follow her on Instagram, and I'm gonna know all about her because I find her wonderful. There we go. Love it. Um, speaking of wonderful, we also had John Quinones on the show today to talk about what would you do. It's a great show with scenarios that show how people behave when they're placed in uncomfortable situations. Now, do you think, I know the answer to this, but do you think you would speak up if you saw something you didn't agree with? Are there examples of you doing that? I can't imagine you holding your tongue. Look, I, I, spe- I have spoken up and I speak up in instances where, where, where somebody's getting abused, yeah. where somebody's getting bullied, where somebody is, where I feel somebody is in, in, in danger of physical harm or emotional abuse. I won't speak up, for example, if there's like a loud kid mm-hmm. or something like that, or if there's, you know... You won't complain. I won't complain. Right. I won't complain uh, about anything. I don't even complain when people are playing their uh, their uh, iPhones or mm-hmm. iPads loudly on the planes. That's if, for the flight attendants to figure out. So I don't complain about me, uh, things that, that I might be mm-hmm. you know uncomfortable with. But if I see somebody being abused... I will speak up. What if you get a uh, order wrong in a restaurant? If they get your order wrong at dinner, do you complain? Do you send it back? Oh, all they got to do is give me a free margarita and I'm good. Oh, there we go. Okay. I, I, I totally <laughs> free. No, you know, I'm not that picky with, uh, yeah. I'm not that picky with, with, uh, with that, with orders. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you no, know, I'm not one of these people that make all these changes right, right, to right. the, you to don't what's have, on like, the seven menu. different things. Yeah. No, I'm not. People always say to me, are you allergic to anything? And I always say, do I look like I'm allergic to anything? <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. Do I look like I'm allergic to anything? Nothing. Yeah, you mentioned on the show that every scenario would be different in Miami. What do you mean by that? 
Oh man, in Miami we are trigger happy and yeah. we are, we have short <laughs> fuses. Like I always, you know, Al's always honking and things in the car, and I'm. Like, I always say to him, Alberto, you can't do that. Right. Anybody can have a gun here. Mm-hmm. Anybody can, you know, just. I mean, in Miami, those tempers we can go from zero to sixty in no time. And so I do think the idiosyncrasy of uh, somebody from Iowa, you know, what this what's called Midwestern nice. You have mm-hmm. never heard the term Miami nice, have you? <laughs> no, I cannot say I have. Okay, so uh, I Miami you know, fabulous. I've heard. I've heard. No, uh, we're yeah. we're fabulous. Mm-hmm. We're you know, we're fabulous and scantily dressed and fun as hell. Mm-hmm. But nice. Yeah. I don't know. Nice and quiet. I don't know. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' Group Text Podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, we have a question from a listener today. This is from Margie, and Margie is asking about political differences between couples. Let's take a listen. Hi, I have a problem. My husband and I are on different views of the uh, democracy, of, of the government. How can I get us on the same page. Is that even possible? Thanks, and I appreciate your answer. Oh, gosh. I don't know if you can get him on the same page. This happened to me once, actually, with Al. Uh, This was before we were married. Um, And he was, if you can believe it, he was uh, supporting Charlie Chris and trying to get Marco Rubio not to run. And I was supporting Rubio. This is how long ago that was, when Marco Rubio was a decent candidate. Um, and we got into a big fight about it. I didn't speak to him for a few days. I didn't have sex with him for, uh, a few days. I cut him off of everything. A few days. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, this is, well, what can I tell you? This is back. Like I said, this was back when we were dating and, uh, and, and before I had menopause and, um, but nowadays we kind of agree. We, you know, he he dislikes Trump. He's a Republican right. uh, who dislikes Trump. Trump has brought enormously. you together closer. Trump has brought us uh, 
together. And um, I just think if the marriage is solid enough and if you've invested enough in the relationship, enough time, you can't make this be a uh, litmus test. You've got to agree to disagree um, and try not to make it a source of friction and of uh, arguments. Have you ever had this happen to you where you've been yeah. with somebody who you... No, not I mean, friends. I have close friends that feel very differently about politics than I do, and we argue constantly. I had one close friendship end over it because uh, they ended it because they couldn't take my political views, which is surprising. Um, my wife has said often that she's very grateful that we are aligned because she doesn't think she could be with someone who didn't feel fundamentally the same about uh, those kind of big ticket uh, ideas about politics. But and you know, democracy. this is one of these things where I think Trump has changed everything. Yeah. Like with everything, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, this week I did an event with Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil, who's been a Democratic activist her entire sure. life. And I remember when we were first on CNN together, and I was very much a Republican, a staunch Republican, and she was a staunch Democrat. And we would have very heated arguments and debates. But we were friends. Afterwards, we'd go uh, have a drink and have oysters. People would walk in and say, wait, didn't we just see you on TV arguing? And it didn't matter. That stopped happening with Trump because br Trump brought out this weird political class um, and, and just the, the passions got too heated and there was no middle ground. There was no, you know, you, you weren't thinking about what values do we have in common? What uh, because you know you're talking about things as as deep as democracy or dictatorship, right. authoritarianism or rule of law, racism and bigotry or equality and inclusion. So I mean, those there, there's things there that are just very hard and to the bridge the gap. Too, really, I mean, yeah. it's just there's no blow but it too used low to anymore. Not be like that. Right. It used to not be uh, like that for the most part. I mean, I don't think Mary Madeline and James Carville, mm -hmm. right? She worked for Bush. Right. He worked for Clinton. They've been married forever and ever, and they argued endlessly. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that if one of them had worked for uh, Obama and the other one had worked for Trump, they could be married. Right. It was just I at, guess the it was at a different level. the are the closest thing we've level. seen to that now, and that didn't work out. Well. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's really it's it's sad, but it's crazy. And, and I, I I could not be married to somebody who was a staunch uh, Trump supporter. No, that does not. I have people me. in my family who I know are going to vote for him, mm -hmm. but uh, I could not. Uh, I I could not be. I guess the, sleeping with one. The real question is: Do we ever go back? Is there ever a downshift? Is there ever ten years from now are things the same or worse? Or is there any chance we go back to? What it used to be. So, you know, I have a lot of young people in my family. Uh, I've got stepchildren who are in their 30s. Um, and they keep telling me that their generation is different than we are, that there's less labels, that there's less. They're not as stuck mm -hmm. in niches. And so I, I do have a lot of hope uh, for that generation coming up, that they will be just more inclusive naturally without it having to be a purposeful uh, decision, right? Right. We we've had to do things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Because if we didn't do it in a in a institutional way, if we didn't do it in a structured way, it wouldn't happen. My hope is that there comes a time when we don't need those things, 
not because we don't want diversity, but because it's happening naturally. I do have hope for this uh, next generation. It's interesting in the context of The View, because The View is a show that changes with, you know, the, the View reflects what people are talking about at home. And when I started working here in 2015 and we got into the Trump world and all that sort of stuff, the show became much more political. And I remember when the election happened, the 2016 election happened, the ratings went up and the people that had worked here forever were all telling me, well, don't get used to it. It always happens at an election and then everything goes back to normal. But it never went back to normal because Trump made normal go away. And And he didn't go away. And he didn't go away. And people cared more about politics day to day at the kitchen table than they had beforehand. It became something that was as much a part of everyone's conversation as movies and television and pop culture and relationships. So that hasn't changed in the time that I've been here. I don't think people ever stop caring about it in this new way. I think it's it feels so important because of everything we've seen. Right. I, I hope it's not as divisive, but um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I don't think Look, we go at back. at some point, Donald Trump is going to be off the scene. Right. Uh, and and I hope that at that point the fever breaks, even though I, I also look at it and I see all of the new candidates, the new Republicans, the new elected officials in his image mm-hmm. who've now been elected, who are now in Congress, who are now in state legislatures, who are now uh, at the state capitals. And I, you know, so I don't think it's uh, even if he goes away, I don't think Trumpism goes away that quickly. But at some, you know, life Politics certainly mm-hmm. is in a pendulum, and at some point the pendulum is going to swing back to a more centrist position. Is my hope. I just hope to. I live to see it. Yeah, me too. Um, well, let's end on a happier note, a fun note. Um, I heard you're watching this documentary that I've been watching too, "The Greatest Night in Pop." It spotlights oh. the relationships between pop superstars who recorded "We Are the World" in 1985, 1984, somewhere around then. Um, what what do you think of it? I, I was blown away by this. It's so much fun to watch. I watched it. I don't. I started watching it last night. So I was on CNN, uh, like a, a, at the ten o'clock hour, and then I came back and I, you know, and I, I I couldn't go to sleep. I started watching it, and I was up until the wee hours watching this. Yeah. And I kept thinking to myself, "Wait a minute, you keep saying to me, Brian, that I have a pop culture blind spot. I don't have a pop culture blind spot. I knew every, every single." <laughs> yes artist that was on there i knew you know they're all iconic legends well yes (laughs) but also i so i don't think i have a pop culture blind spot i just think my pop culture knowledge stopped like 40 years ago it stopped in 1987 right i think (laughs) i think the clock broke (laughs) that's so i think that's the that's the thing no it was so you know it was um I mean, it just gave me so much nostalgia, right, to see Michael Jackson. It's the great. stories that uh, Lionel Richie tells about collaborating with Michael Jackson and being in Michael Jackson's house, which was like full of animals, right? Mm-hmm. The monkey, the... <laughs> the python. The, the python, <laughs> the dog, the parakeet. The, yeah. I mean, it was. It, it sounded like a zoo. And, and this was before Neverland. Yeah. Before he had that the ranch. ranch. And when you see that young Quincy Jones and just the amazing effort that all all these people put in to create this song that helped feed so many people that were undergoing a famine in Africa. And as someone who who works with big celebrities and, and you see all these big celebrities at our table, it's kind of impossible to imagine this level of talent 
and ego and everything else all working together in one night and banging this out. Um, I, t- I immediately watch it and think like, all right, if I was producing this, how would I handle it? How would I keep Michael Jackson and Billy Joel and Stevie Wonder and Bob Dylan happy and make sure that they're okay, that they're, you know, that that how am I, I'm trying to get Prince in here. Can we get Prince? I mean, I love that part of it. Diana you know, Ross. The thing is, though. Yeah. Nowadays, you could do this, everybody doing it, recording out of their home. Right, right? absolutely. Because right now, there's the there's the technology to be able to do this. But this was back then. You're yeah. talking 40 years ago. People had to be in a studio. But the and magic was, of them all together. And it was yeah. a, a tape recording. It was tape being rewinded and mm-hmm. being replayed. I mean, it was it was magic. So I'm not sure we would see that again. No. If for no other reason that you don't need to see it again. And that is... I think uh, something's lost we're, if you do yeah, it that way lost something so i need people to go watch this my favorite part is stevie wonder decides halfway through when everyone's in there he's like we, we need some swahili in this and you see all these other big stars like oh come on stevie really we got to rewrite it and do swahili and then someone realizes well they don't speak swahili in ethiopia right we're okay which, right which was the country that was where the, where the yeah, famine where the was. Thing was for yeah so. I, yeah I, th- I, I thought uh, and i also love the part where Stevie, uh, Ray Charles says to Stevie Wonder, Stevie, I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And Stevie Wonder says to him, here, I'll show you where it is. And they said, well, this is really the blind leading the blind. And so Stevie is showing Ray Charles where the bathroom is. My parents, when they were dating, my dad loves telling this story. They were driving somewhere and they, I guess Ray Charles was performing in town and their car was next to Ray Charles's car, and my mother was very, very excited and waving frantically with the windows rolled up at Ray Charles, <laughs> which just cracks me up. My father loves telling that story. Um, I love it. I love it. So I, I, I need you to amend your yes. statement that I have a pop culture uh, blind spot. I, I, I needed to start this three years ago, but I am going to start a running tally of names that get brought up in our meetings where Anna says, who the hell is that? Oh, and you know what, though? Yes. I've been watching the Oscar movies, the Oscar-nominated oh, movies. That's great. What do you like? Nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. It's been hours and hours of misery. Hours and hours. Of... Why are these movies so long? They're very long. I mean, Oppenheimer is like a month, it's... right? <laughs> For a Killers of a Flower Moon? It's two months. That's like two months. Yep. The other one, uh, the one about the kid in the school, what's it called? Holdovers? Yeah. Oh, my God. It takes weeks to see one of these movies. It's great art, and it takes time to unfold. Is there a short one that I haven't seen? Well, there's a whole short category we can get. But no, I don't think... Uh, have you seen Poor Things? No. Uh, Emma Stone, I recommend that. That's a good okay. one. I mean, it's I've, weird, but it's good. So far, I like I, I'm, uh, I like um, Maestro. Oh, Maestro, really? Okay. Yes. That's, that's, uh, there's a lot of controversy about whether people like Maestro or not. That's good. I like Bradley Cooper. Um, all right. So thank you for joining me, Anna. On Monday... Behind the table will be dark for President's Day, but we will have an all-new episode of The View airing with Abbott Elementary's Tyler James Williams in a performance from Broadway's Spamalot. On Tuesday, I'm back here on the podcast with Sonny. As always, the number to call or text us with questions is right here in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful long weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Behind the Table is executive produced by Brian Tedda. Supervising producers are Nathan Getty and Summer Shake, with production assistant Emily Darcy. The vice president of ABC Audio is Liz Alessi, and the executive producer of podcast programming is Laura Mayer. Special thanks to Lori Hogan, Susie Liu, Meg Fierro, Molly Kaiser, Josh Cohan, Ariel Chester, Frankie Perez, Audrey Mostek, and Dana Schaefer. Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' Group Text Podcast. 
Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.